right? Right? How could that not have happened? I mean, I was I was thinking about it. Like when I read read that verse in the scripture that we're doing tonight, I hear Johnny Cash's voice, and then and then Kevin, Kevin like posted a, posted on Facebook like we're doing that song right. So I was like, well, yeah. All uh, right, yeah, Daniel five. We haven't been here for a while. Oh, that's a, a, okay. One more thing. That song, that song was like the first song that Johnny Cash ever pitched. Like he walked into the Sun Records thing with Sam, what's his name? It was like the first song he gave to that guy. He was like, kind of a gospel thing. And I don't know, I think he didn't like it. But uh, I don't know, eventually, and eventually it got recorded. Uh, Daniel is what we're doing. Uh, Daniel is what we were doing a long time ago. I was the one who stopped it with Palm Sunday, which was like five weeks ago or something like that. But I'm bringing it back bringing it back. I stopped it and I'm bringing it back. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's a good one. It's, it's Daniel 5. It's the, uh, the writing on the wall thing. You know? I mean, we just heard the, the song about it, the soundtrack. But um, it's, a good, it's a good story, but it's, it's been weird. I think I say that in front of all my sermons. And this one's weird. But I don't know. God help us when Scripture ceases to be weird um, and strange. Um... But yeah, I spent a lot of time on this, and it's still not, this sermon isn't done. <laughs> Lucky you guys. Um, I don't know, this is, it, was a, it was kind of strange. There's a lot of history to it. Didn't quite know where, where to go with it, but yeah, all that to, to say, <laughs> we got to pray. <laughs> so if you guys want to pray with me, that'd be cool. Um, you uh, get God in front of this and, and me behind it. God, thanks for the day. Uh, it's comfy. Um, I pray that we can remember today, tomorrow, because I think you're going to end that tomorrow, right? <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you for this story. It's good. It's interesting. It's kind of crazy. Um, I pray that you would be in my words tonight. I pray that they're not mine, they're yours. I pray that, that I'm following you into this and not leading you into this. Um, yeah, make us wiser. Make us stronger because of this. Not dumber. Stuff that's wrong, just, you know, cast it out. Um, and if it's not too much to ask, it may be a good time to. Uh, we love you a lot. Amen. Okay. Um, now we're going to get into it, but there's some, uh, there's some background stuff I want to give to you guys first. Uh, between between uh, chapter 4 and 5, remember 4 was uh, where Nebuchadnezzar went nuts. And he hung out with the animals, like dew collected on him or something like that. It's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, that was the last chapter. This is this chapter. There's 23 years in between those chapters, FYI. And a few kings. Nebuchadnezzar is old history. Um, and there's been a few kings. They kind of had some, some drama, some backstabbing, literally. Um, stuff, and there's this new guy, King uh, Belshazzar. There's actually two kings over Babylon right now, Um, this Belshazzar guy and his dad, uh, Nabonidus. Now, Nabonidus was kind of the guy who actually got stuff done. He's actually out of town um, defending the empire. Um, 
He just lost, so he failed at that. <laughs> but Belshazzar is doing uh, even less. So, so yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, the Persians. The Persians are the guys that they're having problems with. The Persians are actually outside of the city as we read this chapter, ready to take care of Babylon and say, we rule, you don't. Um, but more info. Oh, whoa, gnarly. You okay? Okay. Um, Babylon's got two walls around it, and these are like crazy walls, like 25 feet thick, 40 feet high, both of the walls. So there's, they're feeling pretty secure about themselves. They're feeling safe. Um, they've got a river going through the city, so they got water. They've been saving up food for years. So they're, they're not worried. Um, and then, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was so distracted. Somebody's really enjoying the bathroom right now. That's mine? Oh, pocket, close the door, dude. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All righty. That's my boy. <laughs> All right. He's pretty bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep that in the podcast for sure. Okay, sorry, Persians are outside the city. Uh, they're safe. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going re- to read it in a sec. Okay, this is something that I want to keep you, keep in the side of your mind while we're reading this. Why did God want this story in here? Okay, I mean, like, seriously, think about God when he was coming up with the outline for his book. Like, what, I mean, was it like, Dude, you got to put the the writing on the wall thing in. That was awesome. I mean, was it? I mean, was it that? I mean, it's like, yeah, that was an awesome story. You got to put that in there. I mean, maybe. But there might. I suspect that's more than just awesomeness that got this in here. So, so yeah, keep that that question in there. It's long again, but I'm going to break it up hopefully and make it interesting. So, uh, here we go. Uh, Daniel 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. A lot. That's not in the scripture. But you'll figure it out. Uh, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king's. The king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of silver and gold, and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. What a wuss. Um... But, I mean, the, the, this is something that, I, that I've never picked up before. Okay, now, this was interesting. I asked people this morning. Because a lot of you have heard this story before. And when I, was, when I was talking about this with other people, it was like, how big do you think the hand was? And everybody's like, what do you mean? It's it this big. Like, no, 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 I think it's, like, big. I thought it was, like, a gigantic hand. And I found, like, I was, like, the only person who thought that. Is there anybody else who thought it was a big hand? Ah! Okay, right on. Okay, big, I mean, it's... Well, you think it's God's hand, right? It's got to be big. 
anyways, another interesting thing about this is, uh, you know, it says the king washed the hand as it wrote. Uh, literally, it says the king washed the back of, it, of the hand as it wrote. Now, the back of the hand back then was actually the palm. So he saw the palm of the hand. I was like, how do, how do, you, how do you do that? But, like, if he, it's, the writing kind of happened, like, at the front of this throne room, like, where, the, where he was. And so if this gigantic hand, if it's big, it's, like, right here, like, right in front of him, and he's, like, pressed up against the wall. And so, you know, that's a little scarier, right? It's a little scarier. Like, give him some credit. Okay, yes, God's hand inches from your face, writing something about you that you can't understand. Okay, that's scary. I'll give that to him. Um, but yeah, they, they have, they've actually excavated this room. They're pretty sure they found this room that they're talking about. Um, I think like 19th century, I think they found it. It's about the size of like all of our building. Not this room, but like all of our building. It's about that size. There's one wall that was white, like plaster, and it was raised up a little bit. They think that's where the, it was the throne room where they had parties, and they think his throne was up against that wall. And so, you know, it all kind of comes together. Anyways, let's go on. The king summoned the enchanters and astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Um, purple, I mean, just suffice it to say those are really good things. Then all the, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew even more pale, and his nobles were baffled. And the queen, another, uh, another asterisk, uh, the queen here is kind of like the queen mum. Have you noticed there's some weird daddy issues going on? You know, I told, um, uh, told you that his dad was away fighting a war, but then this kind of says... His dad was Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it seems weird. There's all, the, there's all these weird history things going around. There's some in, in uh, uh, cuneiform and Aramaic and uh, one other one. Good. But um, there's just weird stuff. The other thing that gets a little hairy is roy- in, if you're royalty, uh, fatherhood means different, more, more things than just your biological dad. So, like, kings before you can mean your dad. Uh, but this queen was probably um, older lady, like his mom, possibly, or uh, wife of a former king. Um, because if you read, it, it, we, well, we did. We did read earlier. His, his wives are already there. His queens are already there. So she's not there. This is somebody else, probably the queen, queen mom, so to speak. Hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Holy gods. Doesn't sound like he was totally paying attention when stuff happened. Anyways, in the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Uh, literally, the, uh, the, the solve difficult problems, I thought, was like, can undo knots is what's literally written there. I was like, oh. I guess that's just a clever way of putting it, but it's a Boy Scout. 
Um, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? Anyway. Okay, are you Daniel? Like, okay, it's, they're not all translated this way. Me and Fran were talking about this morning. Sometimes it says, You're Daniel. And that makes more sense. I'm like, Are you Daniel? It seems that. Belshazzar was around for the crazy stuff that, that Daniel did with, with Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll get to more of that detail here in a second. But he knows about Daniel. Daniel pretty much got the state religion changed to, well, not Christianity, but, you know, loving Yahweh. He was a big deal. I mean, it's hard. It would, be, would have been difficult to not hear of Daniel. I mean, it's like us, us and like Rosa Parks. We know who Rosa Parks did, is and what she did. She changed culture. So Daniel would have been known to him. So like, we'll just say that this translation of him asking who if this is Daniel. Anyway, we'll just move on. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom, and you can undo knots. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. I've heard that you were able to give interpretations and to untie knots. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And this, uh, this is what, personally my favorite part. And Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself, and if you've got to give them away, give them to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. This is awesome. He's like 80s. He's like in his 80s now. He doesn't, he doesn't care about... This stuff. It's, just, it's like, uh, he's seen some riffraff kind of come through the kingdom. He's been around for like 65 years at least. He's like, oh, it's another one of you guys. All idiots. I don't care about the purple robe. I'll tell you what it means. Don't worry. But it's not because you're giving me a silly robe. All right? I love this. I love that part. So I just had to say something. Your majesty, the most high God... Notice he doesn't say, king, live forever. Uh, Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven till he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which can't see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this, the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Uh, many, many tickle parson. 
Duh, why couldn't anybody read that? Um, no, from this, and it's pretty obvious, it was in Aramaic, which was a common language back then. It wasn't dead yet. Um, everybody would have been able to read these words, but they're just singular words. Mene means numbered, tekel means weighed, and parson or ufarsin means divided. So if you saw that on the wall, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided, you're like, hmm. I mean, I can define those for you. But wouldn't you think there'd be a little bit more significance to just the, the definitions of them? So that's why I was freaked out. But Daniel comes here and he says, here is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Twice, evidently. Um, whoops. Tekel, you have been weighed on the skills and found wanting. Right? You can't say it any other way. In Paris, I don't know why the word changes there. Figure that out. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He's like, ugh, fine. <laughs> the, the significance here is that no matter what his, his wise guys and astrologers and whatever said, he didn't buy it. He's like, okay, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But Daniel says it, and it's bad news for him. He's like, oh, crap, he's so telling the truth. He buys it. He's like, oh, this guy's, I, I believe him. He can have the robe. And then that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. That very night. And Darius, I don't know if it's Darius or Darius. I think Darius sounds cooler. So, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, this is how I'll give you the background of what actually happened here. Persians, turns out, they were smart. Um, what they did, you know, they're camped outside the city, right, during this party. Good time for a party, anyways. Um, they diverted the river. They blocked off the river and sent all the water into this marsh nearby. And so they, uh, the, the Persian army, like, marched in the shallow river into the city and went nuts. Like, ah, <laughs> Thinkers. That was a good one. That And that was all happening while this, while this scene was taking place. Um, it, and this is complete conjecture, but you can sort of, I mean, it, it, I, I wonder if Belshazzar actually took the purple robe off of himself and, like, put it on Daniel's and hightailed it. And, like, crap, maybe they'll think he's the king. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe the clamor was already, you know, starting outside as Daniel was talking. I mean, that would be there's good drama there. But uh, again, making that up. And then, you know, he t hightails it out of the throne room and goes to the panic room or whatever they have. And and uh, Daniel's just sitting there with his robe and his, his gold chain. He's like, ugh. This is ridiculous. Uh, but, but you know, the uh, Darius actually comes in, and he, he becomes a king. And uh, he actually keeps Daniel on. He's like, oh, I guess you're part of the bad guys, but man, you're smart. I mean, it's obvious. Obvious to, to Darius that, that Daniel is not one of the bad guys. He is a servant and a good guy. Um... So yeah, let's break this down a little bit. Let's uh, let's uh, let's compare the, the the two main characters here. There's two main, you know, 
speaking parts. It's Belshazzar. He's half the age, half his age, half the age of um, of Daniel. He grew up a prince. He grew up with luxury and privilege, and he didn't really have to worry about anything. Ended up with a fairly developed serve me attitude. All about rights. He had a reputation of partying uh, with all the, the historical documents that they found. He partied. That's pretty much what he did. He didn't do much of anything else. There was some murder he did and some backstabbing he did, literally. Um, so, you know, that's great. <laughs> he was kind of a worthless king. He didn't do much. Um, generally went with the flow. I mean, whatever was the, you know, path of least resistance to luxury and whatever he wanted to do. He took that one. Daniel, he's in his 80s. He was kidnapped by the Babylonians uh, when he was a teenager. And he's been in Babylon ever since. So like I said, he's been around uh, for, yeah, 60 or 70 years um, as a political prisoner, as a disenfranchised refugee in this land. And the whole time... He was serving the enemy, basically, the people who pretty much screwed his life. He made people look good all the time. He's been interpreting dreams for kings and making other people look good and giving all this advice that has turned out for the better for a lot of people. Servant attitude. And the news that he's given people has not been pleasant. He tells stuff. He's, he tells everybody bad news. He's like, oh, you guys are going to get screwed this way. Oh, now you're going to get screwed this way. <laughs> and his warnings, it helps him out. But it's these judgments. And he's telling them to kings and people who should be able to, you know, have, you know, say off of his head and stuff like that. Daniel... Daniel's character is to, be, is to be held up. He made hard decisions all his life. He said hard things to people all his life. God lifted him up. God took care of him. Even though he was a little peon, he ended up being, you know, third in command, I don't know, a few times. <laughs> God keeps on pushing him up, up the ladder. And he's not into it, but, I mean... His life got easier because of the difficult decisions he made. Now, I want to tell you guys something. This is the stuff that I kind of want to camp on tonight. Scum, uh, scum is not self-sufficient. Um, well, oh, we need God. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we do. But we, but we think of ourselves as being this, like, uh, stick in the mud. We're outside of all those other churches. Those other churches don't got it together, but we do. Guys, we need those other churches for a lot of things. I'll tell you, I mean, just money. I mean, we have a little tiny budget. We have a little tiny budget compared to almost every other church. And we can't take care of it. <laughs> we, us, you guys, we, do, we don't give enough money to make it. There, there's churches all over Denver and in Ohio and Montana and South Dakota that, that are sending money to keep our lights on. Yay. Thanks, family. So, 
careful before you say, those guys don't get it. <laughs> those guys got money. <laughs> so let's not sniff at that. The other thing they got is prayer. All those churches in Montana and around Denver and stuff, they're praying for us. Scum is not cool enough to exist. <laughs> You're not smart enough. We're not organized enough. We're not good enough to keep going. It's by God's mercy and by the prayers of our brothers and sisters that we are held afloat. We have to be thankful for that. Now, one thing that they, that that a lot of these people, I mean, I've, my wife and I and staff people, we've all kind of developed these prayer partnerships and financial partnerships. Um, one of the things they ask is like, well, what can I pray for? What, what do you guys need to pray for? It's like, well, pray for our decisions because we make bad ones. Generally, brothers and sisters, we make a lot of bad decisions. And I mean, I do too. And I'm in charge. I'm in charge of the place. I'm not totally in charge of this place, but I've made bad decisions for scum. I said this is a good idea for scum, and it hasn't been a good idea for scum. <laughs> I've done these organized things. I've tried to make organized retreats and things like that, and people haven't been into them. And other serious things that, you know, you guys, you can ask me about later. That's that's the way I'll phrase that. Um, bad decisions are something that, yeah, we know about. Belshazzar has illustrated some bad decisions for us tonight and why they happen. We make bad decisions because we don't even know decisions are happening. My favorite one. So many decisions go right by us, and we have made a decision that affects our future, and we don't even know about it. For, for Belshazzar, he was drunk. He got smashed. He's like, I think a good idea would be to, to piss off God. Let's use his stuff. Let's totally defile the holy stuff. I don't know. So he kind of makes a decision. I don't know if he made a decision or, or not. That, this decision goes by him without a thought. In sobriety, guys, I mean, it's just, it's not okay. And that, I'm going to say that it, that it includes marijuana. The vast majority of, of marijuana use is to get high. There's some medicinal stuff, I guess. But the reason you smoke smoke is, is, is to get high. The reason, uh, not not necessarily the reason you drink is to get drunk, but like, you guys got to keep your mind. Make your decisions on purpose all the time. A lot of, a lot of uh, decisions that we don't know are happening as well are ones because we fail to prevent stuff. We don't see the consequences of actions now. Um, an obvious one is... Sex. Stuff happens when you have sex. <laughs> I've got four kids. Um, <laughs> when we had the, when we got pregnant with the third one, they're like, "You guys know why that happens, right?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> it was on purpose. All right, chill out. But a lot of people don't know that. I mean, I'll I'll tell you, there is no such thing as 100% effective birth control, like statistically. And I call that God's sovereignty. God has worked around every single kind of birth control. God's sovereign. 
Um, also, we make uh, we there, there are decisions that happen because, and we don't know about it because of inaction. What did I put up there? Inaction. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard some of my friends like complaining about their dead end job. You know, I was like, I'm not getting anywhere with this, and I'm getting paid zilch. Like, well, you're deciding to have it. Like, no, I'm not. I hate it. Well, you can decide not to have this job. You can decide to get another job and look for another job. Like, well, what? Like, you're making the decision to stay here. I can't complain about that. We make bad decisions because we don't learn from the past. Belshazzar knew about Daniel, about what happened to his dad. But he didn't learn from that. He said, I'm awesome. I know my dad said he was awesome and he got swatted, but he wasn't really awesome. I am awesome. Don't we see that? I mean, a lot of us, we've been dealt rough hands as far as parents go. Like, oh, man, my dad needed help. Dad needed help in this issue. Just wouldn't get it. I've, I've seen that in some of my friends. Like, yeah, your dad needed help with that. And you're having the same issue. You need help with that? Like, no, 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 no. I, mean, I, I can handle it. Like, I bet your dad thought he could handle it. Guys, the past, we can't live in the past, but we can learn from it. Why make mistakes over and over again, generation after generation, or even in our own lives, week after week? Like, oh, that sucked before. Maybe I shouldn't do it this time. I understand. I mean, I make a mistake. I've made mistakes over again, twice, three times. You've got to figure that out. You've got to pay attention to, oh, when I do A, B happens. B sucks. Stop doing A. All right. Uh, pride. You make bad decisions because of pride. Uh, Belshazzar was obviously stoked on who he was. Um <laughs> He liked his notoriety. He was throwing a party. He had this, I mean, his city was in trouble. The bad guys were outside. And the bad guys obviously weren't totally stupid. Should have, probably should have been maybe even, even. okay, I was going to say sober. But, you know, even if he was not drunk, he should have been sober about it. It's like, I'm going to take this seriously. People want to kill me. Right over there. Humble yourself. Say, okay, there might be some people out there that are smarter than me, smarter than me. Now, this pride thing, I'm really nervous about this next part. Um, So, in all humility, (laughs) this applies to everybody, but I hear hear this thing from from a lot of my brothers and sisters, a lot of my friends that that have been around the block more than I have, uh, that are middle-aged, that are older than I am. They'll, they'll say, they'll talk about something that, oh, I know, I shouldn't do that, but it's just who I am. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's just part of my personality. Oh, your personality is not exempt from the sanctification of God. Just because it's part of you doesn't mean it's cool. Doesn't mean it's good. I, can, I mean, I can understand. I mean, you, got, you, get, you get some more decades of, of habits forming, and that makes it hard, but... Whether you're 
15, friends, or whether you're 75, you got to repent. You got to stop sinning. Your personality is not holy. In all humility. Um, now, because uh, of slavery to the past, yeah, but that, I, I did a good job on this PowerPoint, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, because, frankly, uh, we make bad decisions because of slavery to the past. I, I've heard this said around scum as well. Well, I, make, I just make bad decisions. That's just what I do. That's okay. I'm like, how's that okay? I mean, for Belshazzar, it was like, I party. That's what I do. I'm like, no, you can do more than that. You are capable of more than that. Brothers and sisters, my friends, you are capable of more than that. More than bad decisions. We get stuck in this victimhood of like, oh, I guess that's what I do. I lead a hard life and I make stupid decisions. No, you don't have to. It's not your job description. You can get over it. And then uh, we make bad decisions by association. I have a couple of illustrations here. One's a little bit more innocent, about first grade. Um, there was this rule, and it was a hardcore rule at my elementary school. You were not supposed to play around the doors. What a stupid rule. I don't know why we weren't supposed to play around the doors. If there's a teacher here that understands this, tell me. Tell me. But we weren't supposed to play around the doors. Whatever. So me and my friends, I was a good boy. I was very compliant. I was a nice kid. No sarcasm. Seriously, I was a dork. My, my mother-in-law thought there was something wrong with me because um, she knew me back then. Um, and she thought I was, I was just so compliant, there must be something wrong. Anyways, me and my friends checked out a ball, and immediately Lee, I mean, we get outside the, d- the door, and Lee starts playing, like, bouncing the wall off, or bouncing the ball off the wall. And I was like, dude, you're going to get in trouble. Like, as I was saying this, a teacher comes out and was like, okay, let's write your names down. I'm like, God damn it. I mean, I'm sure I cried over this because I had to stay 30 minutes after school. I mean, I don't get in trouble. I was just just there. I mean, I wasn't bouncing the ball off the wall, but I was there, and I don't know, whatever. I guess it was a mistake because I hung out with Lee. I thought Lee was okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm irritating, I know. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yes, I understand. I have, he, he has my sympathy. <laughs> um, okay, but this escalates. You know how this goes. I mean, uh, me, me and me and my friends, or not all my friends, definitely. Uh, some of my friends were hard, uh, not hardcore. Well, I guess so. Hardcore, um, uh, straight edge, uh, like in our twenties. And uh, but we still go to parties. I mean, we weren't like militant about it. So I mean, we go to parties and hang out with people and and. <laughs> You know, you'd be around and people, yeah, obviously start making bad decisions. You know, like people start just, you know, taking their clothes off and stuff. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, crap, okay, I think this is our exit. Um, and But then people would know about it. You know, Jesse, you were at that party and it's like, yeah. no, yeah, no. I mean, but you, I mean, I was guilty by association. You're like, what the crap is going on? I was there just to hang out with friends. But it turns out to be like a bad, bad thing and I was there. I mean, even if I left right when the best stuff happened, whatever. Guys, you know how this goes. If you're around, if you're around people that are making bad decisions, like 
even if you don't make the bad decisions, bad stuff happens. I mean, heaven forbid, like, if, if you've got a girl, guys, or guys, or, you know, vice versa, um, don't be careful what kind of parties you go to. I mean, yeah, maybe she kissed you, but still, you kissed, and you just, that's just sucks. Just not fun for anybody. You have to be careful what sort of situations you get yourself into. I call those mistakes. They seem like decisions that you didn't make, but kind of did. So, you think about, does does it seem more obvious or maybe have some hints of why God put this in the Bible? I think verse 23, 23 puts it best. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. That was Belshazzar's error. God has got it all in his hands. The breath in your lungs is in his hands. All the paths of your life are in his hands. Belshazzar, I mean, he'd, saw, he'd seen what happens when you don't acknowledge that. Bad stuff. He's like, eh, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm pretty awesome. I think it's interesting. In the chapter before, Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, okay. He predicts all this, the, the crazy stuff, and he's goes nuts. God's going to do this to you, Neb. I don't know. Maybe he was so close they called him Neb. Um, he's going to do this stuff, but I think God likes you. I think you get it. I think you understand who God is. Repent, man. Just just chill out. Humble yourself, and I think you'll be okay. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, 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 I'm awesome. And like, while he's saying he's awesome, literally, in the story, he's saying, I'm awesome. He goes nuts. He goes nuts mid-sentence. I think it's interesting how, how frank Daniel is with everybody. But in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he's like, no, 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 no. Here, repent, dude. And God likes you. In Belshazzar's case, he's like, no, you're an idiot. You're going to die. No frosting on that cake. Right? And he's just totally straight up. I mean, you're doomed, man. Do you want to meet Daniel? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's super interesting. Okay, he's also very, very honest. You think if he had no problems telling a king, the most powerful man that humanity has ever seen, maybe not the most, but one of the most, he had no problems telling him bad stuff was going to happen. You think he's going to have a problem with telling you what, how, how you measure up? You've been weighed in the balance, dot, dot, dot. You want to hear that? I think I do. I think I do. I have no doubts that it would suck. No doubt that that conversation would not be pleasant. But I'll try and repent. I'll take some frosting on the cake. I'll say, okay, I'll stop. I'm really trying to be less dumb tomorrow than I was today. 
You don't have to have that conversation. God will have it with you. I was about to say I would, but I don't think I want to have that conversation with you. <laughs> you want me to? I guess I will. The point here, God put this in the Bible. Verse 23. He holds the breath in your lungs in his hands, and everything that you're ever going to do is in his hands. Guys, we have to say, whoa. Whoa. That, that's awesome. That's completely amazing. Thanks for that. And I'll take whatever help you give me, God. That's what I got. Thanks, guys.